Well, good evening. My name is Ray Burbank. I'm one of our elders here at Charlotte Chapel, and we're going to continue our time of worship by looking intently into God's Word uh, here in Luke chapter 8, which was just read to us a moment ago. So I invite you to keep that out in front of you uh, as, we, uh, as we go along here. Let me, let me pray and ask for God's help uh, during this time. Father, we um, are expectant here this evening. Uh, God, we come as um, needy people, God, as your children who look forward to being in your presence together. And God, now we come to your word and ask that, God, you would feed us true food for our souls. God, that we might know you, we might love you more, and that we might obey you, God. We might know what it means to walk uh, in fruitfulness, Lord, as your people. So God, help us, we pray now, by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, James Simpson Young is a name that you might know. Uh, he was a physician here in Edinburgh in the 19th century. And he is considered by many to be the father of modern anesthetics and midwifery. Uh, his statue is just over here uh, in front of Princess Street Gardens Playground. And in a tenement home just over on Queen Street, Young and two of his assistants worked for years to perfect an effective use of chloroform as an anesthetic, even using the drug on themselves night after night and passing out for the whole night, almost killing themselves uh, in, in the effort. And Young eventually succeeded in introducing the use of chloroform uh, for women in childbirth and for soldiers who were wounded in battle. And his discoveries uh, have benefited modern surgical practices. They've alleviated suffering for so many people and saved countless lives all over the world. But while being a, a great physician, James Simpson Young was also a committed Christian. And one time when a, when a journalist asked him, what was your greatest discovery? Young replied, that I am a sinner and that Jesus is a great savior. <laughs> so why would Dr. Young say that that was his greatest discovery? Well, you know, many people today, we still live uh, in pain. Many people still live with chronic pain, long-term illness, or physical disabilities. Some people are on a, a continual uh, use of medication for pain. Some have to frequent medical clinics. Some have to monitor their organs. Some have cancer. And while we have much to be thankful for uh, in the NHS, for modern medical practices, modern medicine does have its limitations. We still suffer. We still die. Is there any hope for our broken bodies and this sure approach of death? Well, as you can probably expect me to say, the answer is yes. There is a healing that Jesus Christ offers which is sure to save and last forever. So what does this healing look like? Well, that's what we're going to see here in, in Luke chapter 8 this evening. Um, we're going to be looking at verses 40 to 56 there, this end of chapter 8 in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and if you've been following some of the previous 
uh, sermons uh, through the Gospel of Luke, we've seen over the past few passages in chapter 7 and 8, uh, numerous cases where Jesus is demonstrating his power and authority. Last time, Liam showed us uh, in the first half of this chapter, chapter 8, where Jesus showed his power over the natural world and demonic powers. He, he calmed the storm and he casted out demons. Well, in our passage this evening, we'll see Jesus demonstrate his power over disease and death. If last time we saw Jesus' power over the forces without, this time we're going to see his power over the forces within. And all of this is leading to a climactic moment in the Gospel of Luke, in the next chapter, in chapter 9, where we see Peter confess Jesus is the Messiah. You see, that's what this is showing us, friends, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the, the Savior who has power and compassion to save broken people like us. So carrying on from the events we uh, have read about last time, this passage is just going to show us three more reasons why we should put our faith in Jesus. And the first reason is that Jesus hears the cries of the desperate. That's how the story starts off. So start uh, there in verse 40. It says, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. See, this is when Jesus and his disciples, they were returning from their trip where they had gone across the Sea of Galilee to the other land where they had healed the man who had the demons. And they're now coming back to Capernaum, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And it says that a crowd was there ready to meet him, even eager to meet him. You see, Jesus was the most famous teacher of his time. He was like an entertainment. I mean, he was a celebrity People were flocking to see him. And some people in these crowds were just like curious spectators. They wanted to check out who this, who this Jesus was. But we, we see a lot of these people uh, disappearing and leaving eventually when Jesus starts talking about the cost of being his disciple. But there are others in the crowds who are desperate for Jesus to heal them of a sickness or a physical disability. This crowd had heard how Jesus had healed people before. In, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus healed the man who had leprosy by touching him. In that same chapter, he healed a, a paralyzed man who was lowered down from a, a hole in the ceiling that his friends had busted out to try to get him to Jesus, and he, he healed this paralyzed man. So people had seen this, they'd heard about this, and they were desperate to come and just try to touch him and experience his healing power. See, we have to remember that there were not medical facilities back then like, like we have today. There, were, there was no disability benefits, no antibiotics, no dependable form of, of surgery. Life was painful back then, more than it is even today. But you see, these are the kind of people that the text says welcomed Jesus. People who recognize their need for help who see clearly their problems and their messed up life. These are the kind of people who are expectant for Jesus' presence and power. Look at verse 41. It says, Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet. 
Jairus, a, a synagogue leader. Luke is singling out this one member in the crowd. And he was a synagogue leader. He, he was uh, one that in these synagogues they would have a select few men who would be kind of like how elders are in a church where they would help to oversee the, organ, the, the order of services on the Sabbath and different weekly events. So this means Jairus, he was a, you know, a respected member in this community. People probably held him in high esteem. You know, if anybody appeared to have a good life, have kind of everything under control, I mean, it would probably be Jairus, right? That's how people maybe would perceive it. But this respected leader in the community fell at Jesus' feet, it says. Even this guy, no one would expect to act in such a desperate uh, way. Even he got down on the ground in front of Jesus, seeking his help. And look at verse 42, it says, Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. You see, there's one thing in that Jairus did not have under control. There was something very special to him that had slipped beyond his ability to fix. His daughter, his only daughter, was on her deathbed, and he, he couldn't do anything about it. It says his daughter was about 12 years old, which in those days would have meant she was approaching marriageable age. It means that she was in the prime of life. I mean, think about it if, if she was your daughter. Think of all the great expectations you would have for her, the bright future that you wanted to ensure for her, but she was dying. This is why Luke includes these details about the daughter, to show how desperate the situation is, why Jairus is so desperate for Jesus' help. And Jesus responds. Uh, it's almost assumed in the text. He, he responds, he begins to, uh, to travel with Jairus to their home to heal his daughter. But along the way, we see that Jairus is not the only one who's desperate. There's another desperate person that's going to be singled out from this crowd. So you see in the second half of there, verse 42, it says, As Jesus was on his way, the, the crowds almost crushed him. They were, they were so dense, so eager to touch him and be with him. They were getting all up in his face. The only thing I could imagine comparing this to was watching you know, the Masters uh, golf tournament in the U.S., which probably doesn't even come close to it, but the players coming down the, the hill and all these people are crowding up and there's these people trying to hold them back so they don't mess up the guy's swing. You can imagine the fringe festival, people shoulder to shoulder, you can't even walk down the street. But there's one person in this crowd who can't be so bold, who can't even bring herself to openly come up in front of Jesus like that. Look at verse 43. It says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. This woman had a, an uncurable bleeding issue, a hemorrhage that wouldn't stop for the last 12 years. And see, this meant that she was legally unclean according to the Jewish law. In Leviticus 15, 25, verses 25 to 31, uh, it details the, the rules for women who have a discharge of blood during their normal menstrual cycle. It says that she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge. Anything she touches will be unclean. Anything who, anyone who touches her or the things that she touches will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water. 
and they will be unclean till evening. And after her discharge ends and she washes, she must make an offering to atone for her uncleanness. But for this woman in Luke chapter 8, her bleeding never stopped. She was continually considered unclean. She couldn't be near anyone. She couldn't have sexual relations with a husband. She couldn't go out into public. Mark chapter 5, verses 22 to 43 tells this same uh, narrative that we're looking at in Luke. And it gives a detail that, that says that the, the woman had spent all her money to find a healing, but that no physician could heal her. She had no one. But she heard that Jesus was coming. She had heard, or maybe even seen, Jesus in Capernaum earlier where he had healed people. And so when she heard he was going to be there, she went to seek him out. So the woman tries to, to approach Jesus to touch him, but she's so ashamed, so embarrassed about her condition, she can't be as bold as the rest of the crowd pressing in to touch Jesus. Instead, verse 44 says, she came up behind him and touched just the edge of his cloak. In Mark's gospel, it says that the woman thought, if, if only I can touch his cloak, I will be healed. So this woman was afraid. She was embarrassed. She was carrying a heavy burden and no one could help her. But she believed that Jesus could. She believed that Jesus had the power to heal her. So let's stop for a minute, friends, and ask, what, what does this tell us so far about how we should approach Jesus? Well, the first thing I think we can say is that we can come to Jesus with our request, no matter who we are. You see, there are people that you might come to this church uh, in this, and, and feel out of place. You know, you feel like, well, I, I feel like my life's way too messed up to, 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 to be here. You know, or, or I'm just not good enough to be around some of these people that... Some of these people feel like they just don't have any problems in the world. And they're happy. They're flipping the pages in their Bible like they know exactly where they're going. And I, I just, I, this doesn't seem like I should be here. Let me tell you something. Anyone can come to Jesus. I mean, think about the extreme differences we see in this passage between Jairus and the bleeding woman. One is a man. One is a woman. One is rich. One is poor. One is revered and exalted, the other is vilified and despised. One is respected, one is rejected. One is used to being honored, one is used to being scorned. One has a 12-year-old daughter dying, the other has a 12-year-old disease. One leads the synagogue, the other is excommunicated from the synagogue, but they both show a desperate need for Jesus. So don't be afraid to come and hear God's word or to be among Christians. Come to Jesus with your need, no matter who you are. But secondly, I think we can see that we must recognize our need when we come to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus comes to you, how welcome will he be? Will he, he find a welcome reception with you? Will you be ready to acknowledge your need or will you be someone who has no need of Jesus? 
See, those who recognize their need and see their problems clearly, they are the most ready to receive Jesus. That's what the church is. It's the family of believers in Jesus, though different types of people. We all share a desperate need for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we should, we should regularly express this need to Jesus in prayer, in our corporate worship, in our conversations with one another, and with our neighbors. So, the first reason we should trust in Jesus is because He hears and responds to those in need. And next, we see specific needs that Jesus uh, has come to heal. And this is the, the second reason to trust in Jesus, because Jesus can restore the diseased. Jesus can restore the diseased. Look at verse 44 again. It says that she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. She just, she just touched this small piece of fabric on Jesus, and she was healed instantly. Twelve years of suffering changed in an instant. Jesus shows his divine power by healing this woman's uncurable disease. Remember, this woman's bleeding made her legally unclean. Her touch would have made the other person unclean as well. But when she touched Jesus, Jesus did not become unclean. Instead, the woman became clean. Instead of her pure impurity passing to him, his purity passed to her. Instead of her problem becoming a problem for him, his power freed her from this problem. Jesus' power went out to this woman and restored her health. But when this happened, look at verse 45, Jesus stopped. He stopped and he said, who touched me? Who touched me? Remember, he's on his way with Jairus to go and heal a dying girl. Remember Jairus' desperate situation, but, but Jesus stops to tend to someone else along the way. Jesus doesn't mind being interrupted. He knew that his power had been given, and he knew it was the woman. This is, this is why the woman knew she, she couldn't go unnoticed. Did you see that there in verse 47? She knew she couldn't go unnoticed. She knew that Jesus knew. Jesus wanted to give her the chance to publicly testify before all that she had believed in Jesus, that Jesus could heal her. And that's what she did. She came before Jesus, it says, trembling. What would Jesus do? What, was he angry that he had been made unclean? Would, would she have to, to tell all in front of this crowd? She was trembling, but, but she did. She came and told all how she had believed that Jesus could heal her, and that's what he did. Her faith proved genuine with her humility, her display of need for Jesus, and her public association with him. But Jesus didn't just want to let her publicly confess her faith. He also wanted to publicly restore her. He wanted her cleansing to be made known in front of all these people, this crowd, her community. Look at verse 48. Listen to these words. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She could go in peace. Not just a psychological feeling of peace, but objective peace with God. 
Jesus had taken away her uncleanness. She was now in right standing before God through faith in Jesus. And she could also go in peace before her neighbors. Jesus restored her honor in the community. By faith in Jesus, this woman found true peace with God and even peace with her neighbors. So his power is displayed here, but did, but did you see the word that Jesus used to address her? Daughter. You know, Jairus came pleading to Jesus to come heal his daughter. And while on the way, Jesus found another daughter who was suffering. Jesus not only shows great power in healing this woman, he also shows great compassion. Jesus shows compassion for the suffering. This is all over the Bible. You know, the Bible shows us that God is all-powerful and consistent in His plans and purposes. He's not affected by the actions and plans of mankind. He, he stands above the changes that we experience in our desires and plans. But at the same time, God is also compassionate. Jesus wept over His dead friend Lazarus. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. In Matthew eleven twenty-seven, 27, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's a burden bearer. He's a comforter. The prophet Isaiah said that the Lord tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to him. He leads gently those who have young. Jesus is tender with people. And that's how he spoke to this woman, daughter. And he gave her true peace from her suffering. So what does this woman say, woman's, this woman's story say to us tonight, friends? First, I think we can say that we can come to Jesus in our suffering. We can come to Him in our suffering. Jesus shows that God is not inconvenienced by suffering people. He's not disgusted by our illnesses or the mess that our bodies can cause when they fall apart. Jesus has compassion for hurting people. He's not in some ivory tower somewhere. No, God in Jesus took on human flesh and shared in our sufferings. Isaiah said that the Messiah would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. We can come to Jesus with our mess. And actually, when we, when we understand the, the origin of human disease, we will want to come to Jesus all the more. Recognize suffering for what it is, and you will recognize Jesus as the true Savior. Sickness is the decaying of our bodies which started at the beginning when men and women first sinned against God. Disease is this effect of sin corrupting God's good creation. Not that a sickness that you have is a direct punishment because of your personal sin. It's a universal problem affecting the whole human race as a consequence of humanity sinning as a whole. Sin is a, a corruption of God's good creation. It doesn't belong. It's a, it's a misuse of God's gifts, an evil misshaping of the desires of our heart. 
And human disease is part of this corruption that sin has created. So disease reminds us of a spiritual problem above all else. So while we should certainly make use of the medical treatment for our sicknesses, we also need to come to the only one who promises to give us a lasting healing. A healing for our broken relationship with God. So come to Jesus in your suffering, because in our suffering, that very suffering reminds us how much we need him and how great a savior he truly is. Secondly, we must come to Jesus in faith. We must come to Jesus in faith. You see, we see from this story what the Bible means by faith, the biblical understanding of faith. The example of this woman shows us that biblical faith is believing in Jesus as able to save. Faith is a faith in the person of Christ, his capability, his power, his compassion. Even if your faith is, is deficient at first, you know, like the woman's most certainly was, she probably didn't know a lot about Jesus yet. Even if your faith is timid like hers was, you don't know much about the Bible yet, you're, you're not sure about all the details of what Christians believe, and, but you're convinced of this, that you have a problem, you need help, and that Jesus can save you. Friends, Jesus commends this kind of desperate faith. We must come to Jesus in faith. And lastly, notice that true faith actually leads us into action. True faith leads us into action. The woman knew that she needed to come out of hiding and confess before others that she believed in Jesus and that he rescued her. The Bible teaches that true faith should affect how we live. You know, in recent days, the, the controversy surrounding uh, the candidates for Scotland's first minister, uh, it has revealed kind of a, a warped view that many have of faith in God. Many today think that faith in God is just a, a private matter for private contemplation and shouldn't affect your day-to-day -day life. But the Bible teaches that we, can, we can't keep true faith in Jesus a secret. Jesus wants us to acknowledge him before others and associate with him publicly. If you'd call yourself a believer in Jesus, uh, but, but you haven't been baptized, well, that's the first step in going public with your faith. If you haven't shared the gospel with those who are close to you in your family or in your workplace, well, consider how, how can you take steps to begin to share Jesus with them and share how he's changed your life? like he's done with this woman. Let's not be ashamed of Jesus, brothers and sisters. So Jesus can restore the disease. Therefore, we can come to Jesus in our suffering, but we must come to him in faith. And this leads us to the final point uh, that we see in this passage. The third reason to trust in Jesus is that Jesus can rescue the dead. Jesus can rescue the dead. Look at verse 49. A messenger arrives with the news of the girl's death. Jairus' daughter has died. And his message assumed all hope was lost. He says, don't bother the teacher anymore. It's over. No one can help her now. Death seemed this final blow beyond which there could be no repair. But Jesus hears this. 
and reassures Jairus that there's still hope. Look at verse 50. This is, this is incredible words. He says to Jairus, don't, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. You know, the word translated healed, there's uh, other, other places in the New Testament, it's often translated saved. The Christian Standard Bible uses it this way, just believe and, and she will be saved. Jesus will rescue her. See again, the power and compassion of Jesus. God in Jesus has the capability and the compassion to save the hopeless, even save them from death itself. Jesus commended the woman for her faith in him, and Jairus can demonstrate the same commendable faith if he continues with Jesus on their journey, on their journey to his home to see his daughter. You see, Jesus is saying, don't listen to this message, this messenger. Don't listen to this message, which is coming from a worldly perspective. Don't listen to the world's message that after death there's no hope, or that no one can rescue from death. Just believe. Believe in me. Believe in Jesus, and she will be saved. So we see in Jairus another lesson here on biblical faith, don't we? To, to believe, to have faith in Jesus means that we believe in his person like the woman did, his power, his compassion to save. And with Jairus, we also see that faith means to believe in that what Jesus says is true. To believe that what he says is true. Jesus said she will be saved. So Jairus has a choice. He can either believe the messenger's word or believe Jesus' word. And if he believes Jesus, he will continue to walk with him to the home. So I think what we can garner from this, first of all, friends, is that we can believe in Jesus despite the circumstances, can't we? We need to know God's promises to us in the Bible. We need to know what does he say so that we can believe that what he says is true. Reminding ourselves of them when we're faced with death, either of our loved one or even our own death approaching. We need to share these good promises with those we love. But let's continue on in um, these last few verses here. When they arrive at Jairus' home, look at verse 52. There were people mourning aloud, wailing, it says, over the dead girl. She was, she was definitely dead. But Jesus says, stop wailing. She's not dead. She, she's only asleep. And it says that the, the, the mourners there, they, they laughed. They were laughing at Jesus in, in, in disbelief. And see, Jesus is speaking in a, in a figurative sense because he's saying that she's only in a, in a temporary death. Jesus is going to demonstrate his resurrection power, that God has power over death. And that's what he does. He, he comes up to the girl. He, he, he doesn't have to touch her, but he does. He, he takes her hand as a sign of compassion. And he calls out to her, child. My child, get up. And the girl is immediately brought back to life. And we know this in three ways. You can see it there. Her spirit returns to her. She stands up. And then she's given food to eat. Isn't that great? <laughs> it says Jesus instructed her parents to give her some food to eat. 
You know, it, this reminds me, in South India, where I've lived before, it, it's common for people in casual conversation, you know, to not only just ask, so how are you doing, you know, but they'll say, have you had your dinner? Or have you finished your lunch? Vijay knows what I'm talking about, right? It's just a sign of affection, you know? It's a, it's a friendly a sign of care, and this is how Jesus treats this girl and her parents. He, he wanted her life to return to normal. So he cared for her. And look at the last verse in our passage here, in verse 56. This is important, friends. Don't miss this. Jesus tells Jairus and his wife, even though they're astonished at what they've just seen, he tells them not to tell anyone about this miracle. Now, Jesus does this in several points, and we don't always know the details of why he's doing it. But one thing I think that we can glean from this is that Jesus doesn't want people to get the wrong idea of what it means to follow him. Following Jesus does not mean that you will never get sick. It doesn't mean that following him you can have your own personal genie in a bottle and make you prosperous and healthy. It won't be a life of comfort, but of suffering. Jesus explained three times to his disciples that he would soon be arrested, flogged, and crucified, and that they would share a similar fate. He called his disciples to take up their own cross to follow him. He said, the world will hate you because of me. Following Jesus does not mean having a carefree life in the world. Jesus didn't want people to get this wrong impression of his miracle working. Now, the miracles point to something deeper of a more spiritual and eternal significance. But now, before I explain more what I mean, I, I, I say these things knowing, knowing that there are some here this evening who are experiencing real physical and psychological pain and suffering. You might be thinking, will Jesus heal me? Will He heal me miraculously now? And sometimes God does answer those prayers. And the Bible tells us that we should pray for those who are sick. That they will get well. But sometimes God does not heal us. As we know, the human death rate is going at 100% mortality rate, right? Unless Jesus comes back first, all of us will die. Think about this. What about all the people in the crowd in this passage? All the other people. There were many people in this crowd that Jesus didn't heal. Does that mean that they have no reason to hope in Jesus? Was their hope misplaced? No. Because Jesus was demonstrating a deeper truth. Something that can apply to people who never get to touch Jesus. Jesus physically, but only know Him by faith. Listen, friends, this is the good news for us. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying here in this passage. Whether they be natural disasters, demons, disease, or death, Jesus has power to restore them all. Sin has corrupted the earth and corrupted our hearts and corrupted our bodies. Jesus has come to restore this fallen world. You know, right now we're in this uh, Lent season, which means that Good Friday and Easter are coming. 
The days when Jesus suffered and died on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for sin. And then he rose from the dead three days later, never to die again. Just as this bleeding woman was suffering, Jesus suffered, though without sinning. Just as Jairus' daughter died, so Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And isn't it appropriate that his power over death is illustrated last of all? The Bible says that death is the final enemy that Jesus will come to destroy. Jesus has defeated the power of death by his own resurrection from the dead. And here's the good news for us, friends. For those who have faith in Jesus, he will raise us from the dead as well. This is what the great text that we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 52-56 talks about, where it says that in the last days, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, we can believe in Jesus despite the circumstances. And secondly, we, can, we must believe in Jesus accurately. We need to take Jesus on His own terms as revealed to us in Scripture. Because here's the thing, if Jesus has the power to save us from death then each and every one of us needs to deal with Jesus. Who do you say He is? Will you fall at His feet like Jairus and the bleeding woman? Because death is actually not the chief end for us. Facing and knowing God is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, for sending the Savior, the only one who can heal the problem that we have that is much deeper than sickness, disease, even, even physical death, Lord. And that's a spiritual separation from you, our Creator. But thank you that through faith in Him, you call us your children. We can call you Father, God. And you demonstrate this saving um, work of Jesus through the power He showed in these miracles but also His compassion for broken people like us. So God, we pray, God, that we, You would help us to come to You in our sufferings, to come to You despite the circumstances. Father, I pray for those who are here this evening, who are listening to us online, God, who are struggling, who have sickness, God, who are in pain, for those who have lost a loved one, God, that we would hold on to your good promises of the great Savior we have in Jesus, who's done the greatest miracle of all, raising us from the dead on the last day when he comes. Lord, help us to look forward to that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to close by singing this last song, uh, Yet Not I, But Christ. Christ. Let's stand and respond to God. This song.